Uh, wasn't that great? Man, I love, love, love when we get to start off a day with an element that just so purely and perfectly points to what it is that we're talking about today. When we hearken back to the Garden of Eden where it all went wrong, there's so much richness to discover there and to figure out. And a little bit later, we're going to be talking a little bit how today connects up to that. But uh, if this is your first time joining us in a while, you actually came in in part two of a four-part series that we're calling Shift. And what we're doing is we're looking at this book called Ephesians. It was written by a guy named Paul back in the you know, first century. He was, uh, he was a follower of Jesus. Jesus showed up on the road to Damascus, transformed his life. And this guy went out starting churches everywhere. And he wrote letters back to the churches he started, one of which being in Ephesus, therefore this letter called the Ephesians or to the Ephesians, we call it Ephesians, um, that explains a little bit how followers of Jesus are meant to believe and how followers of Jesus are meant to behave. And what we discovered while we were preparing for this is that there's a very interesting correlation in the book of Ephesians and that chapter one talks about what we're supposed to believe in a certain area and chapter four kind of talks about how you're supposed to behave in that area. And then chapter two and chapter four or chapter five and then chapter three and chapter six, they all kind of come together and line up. And so we felt like it would be really cool over the next four weeks to talk about these things. And see, I love how Kensington makes the decision that when we're going to have a really tough topic that nobody really wants to discuss, we hit it head on with a guest speaker. <laughs> it's like purity. Oh, it's called Josh. <laughs> Nobody likes to talk about purity. It's almost as bad as we came in here and said we're talking about money. You know, you're like, oh, no, I picked money weekend. Honey, get the car warmed up. You know, it's like, ah, it's just certain topics in church. I just would rather you stay out of my business. You know, I just kind of stay over there. I get it. I know what purity is. It's, it's, that's one. But I don't know about you. Whenever I hear that topic, my eyes immediately start to roll unconsciously. And I'm just like, all right, preacher boy, make me feel bad about myself so I can get on to lunch, you know. It's just kind of that feeling. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe I'm just horrible. It could just be me. But that's kind of how I feel about it. I mean, the truth is, if we are honest with ourselves, we understand. Like, you don't even have to believe that there is a God to understand that the brand image of God is that of purity, right? That God calls us to live lives of purity. That's what we've been called to. I mean, you don't have to know Jesus. You don't have to know God. You don't even have to believe he exists to know that's his image, right? God is kind of synonymous with G-rated movies, right? He only watches Pixar, that's it, you know, and, and not Wally, that one's weird. You know, he only has a certain number of these things, you know, that he's willing to watch. He has these ideas about sex that are very, very strict, you know, I mean, there's a lot of options out there, a lot of things, that could, and he's just like this one little thing, man, woman, marriage for life, oh, really, you know, that's, that's it? That's, it seems like there's a lot we're missing out on. Nope, just right here, this is it. This is, this is what we do, and you're like, oh, well, that's really great, you know? Violence, I mean, he, well, he's kind of back and forth on violence. <laughs> you read the Old Testament, he's like calling bears out to maul people and, you know, bolt of lightning and flooding and stuff like that. But it seems like he mellowed out a little bit in the New Testament. He's all about peace, love, and happiness. So I guess I'll let my kids watch Marvel movies, just not Deadpool. You know, it's like we have to make these decisions in our lives about what we're going to expose ourselves to. And for many of us, what we're going to expose our children to and how we're going to work in this world and live in this world. But when we think about purity, we think about this thing. We say, you know, it just seems like he has all these ideas about what I should eat or what I should wear, or how I should dress or what I should look at or how I should 
be exposed to things? How is it that God is holding me to the same standard as a pre-Bronze Age Bedouin shepherd that wrote this stuff? He didn't exactly have YouTube on his phone, did he? You know, I don't know how I'm supposed to remain pure and holy. What was he doing? You know, it's sheep. That was it. It's not like there's a lot of impropriety or impurity there. You know, but me, I've got YouTube. I've got Vimeo. I've got every site in the world I could ever want to look at. It's all right there, and I have to make the decision not to. And that's why I think for many of us, when we think of the word purity, we think of it as a four-letter word. You know, we're just like, purity, oh, that sounds a little archaic, doesn't it? Ah, 1950s called, they want your values back, you know? It's like, ah, I just, that's a ship that has kind of sailed. It feels a little childish, doesn't it? Like when we say the word purity, what do you think of? You think of like a three or four-year-old kid that knows no better, you think of innocence. But innocence and purity aren't necessarily the same thing. Once innocence is lost, you really can't ever recover it again. But once purity is lost, you really can. And I will explain a little bit more about that. But it does feel childish. We say, you know what? I get it. You know, anybody knows and understands you don't want your five-year-old to be playing Grand Theft Auto, right? I mean, that's a no-brainer. Even though there's probably a grandparent in the room right now going, isn't that what we got Kyler for Christmas? I got to call his mother. No. (laughs) But we don't want that. But at some point, I realize she's going to see it. And so I have to decide at one point, when am I, I going to introduce those things? When am I going to allow those things to pop into their lives? Because it just seems very childish and it seems utterly, honestly, impossible. I mean, really, in this day and age, how do you maintain sexual purity? How do you maintain the th- purity over the things you allow to come in through your senses? They say you see 30,000 advertisements a day and most of them are you objectifying a woman to sell you a product. You know, it's happening constantly to a point where we're inundated. Do you guys realize we hold supercomputers in our pocket that give us unfiltered access to the entirety of the world's information in the palm of our hands? Anything we want to see, anytime we want to see it, zero accountability. And you're trying to tell me in a world like this, God is calling me to live a life of purity? Frankly, if I'm being really honest with myself, a lot of times it just feels pointless. I mean, really, it's like I'm a, I'm a grown man. You know, can't I look at whatever I want to look at? Can't I see? You know, it's not like I'm going to watch Game of Thrones and all of a sudden start hatching baby dragons, you know? It's not working that way. You know, I can filter these things. I can choose what comes out of my mouth. I can choose how these things affect the way I think. Little kids, not at all. That's why they don't watch it. But me, I'm an adult, you know, restricted. That's for me. I'm good at that. I can handle these things. But yet, maybe we can't. Because I think every single one of us has found us in a place where we say something in a moment that we don't have any idea how that came out of our mouth. You ever done that? You're in an argument with your husband or wife and you're like, don't say that, don't say that, don't say that. And you're like, Bleh, I said it. <laughs> and they're like, ah, and you're like, ah, and it's just this really bad thing. And you're like, how did that even come? Where was that? I don't even know what that was. You know, I, I just like I belched it out. And they're oh, sorry, didn't mean to say that. But it's out in the air and you can't take it back. Or maybe you found yourself in a situation sitting across from someone having impure thoughts or impure motives, and you're just like, whoa, whoa, wait. What, what is that? Where'd that come from? Ooh, what is that? But it's there. You don't know why. And I think if we're not careful, what we find ourselves doing, I know I find myself doing this, is when I misunderstand the why behind the what, I tend to misjudge the who. I'm going to say that again. When I misunderstand the why behind the what, I have a tendency to misjudge the who. 
You know, see, I think what happens is, is when we hear God calling us to a life of purity, we see him as the fun patrol, you know? We see him as the police to hold down the party, to keep everything low, to keep everything safe, to keep everything sanitary and G-rated, that everything's supposed to be nice, and we kind of think of it the way that kids think about what we put up on the top shelves of our cabinets. You know, it's like, just give me a stool, I'll stand up on this counter, and I'll be able to reach it, because God's holding out on me. <laughs> There's so many good things out there, I've tasted and seen, they're great, he is a old fuddy-duddy, you know? I need to do my own thing. I can figure out my own life. Does that sound familiar at all, Garden of Eden? <laughs> I want the knowledge of good and evil to decide for myself what is right and wrong. But there's a fundamental problem with that. And we're gonna discover that as we move forward. What if? What if we could shift our thinking just a little? And if by shifting our thinking just a little, it could revolutionize the way we view purity. What if instead of holding out on us, God is trying to inform us about a very important part of the way that we're wired? What if this isn't an adversarial thing? What if it's a cooperative thing that God is coming up beside us going, listen, listen, listen. I got some really relevant information for you about your operating system that you might want to know before you walk out into that world. Because you see, if we can make that shift and we can start seeing it differently, then maybe just, wow, that was cool. <laughs> Thanks, Jerome. Um, <clears throat> maybe, just maybe, we can begin unlocking parts of our lives, our intimacy with God, are choices that we've never unlocked before. What if purity is a key to something greater than anything we would find in the impure places of this world? See, I believe that's the case. What I believe is that purity is God's best plan to maximize your joy, your peace, and your freedom. I know it sounds contrary, right? You're like, well, that's all the things that all those things give me, you know? Joy, peace, and freedom. Well, not really. Not if you're honest. Because those are the things that are fun in the moment, but they linger and endure and they affect and influence the people that we are, the way we feel, and the way we believe. And I want to share from Scripture and I want to share from some of the latest stuff coming up in neuroscience and psychology to see how this wiring inside of us affects how we perceive the world based off of what we allow into ourselves. And that by limiting and constricting that, it can change everything about how we see the world. But before we dive into the meat of the message, we're going to pause and receive the offering. So as the ushers come down and they make their way to the front, I just want to say, if this is your first time here, you know, you haven't been here in a long time, or maybe you got tricked into coming and you thought you were going to lunch and now you're here and you're like, okay, well, I guess I'll sit through this. Just understand this is the part of the service that really wasn't designed with you in mind. This is something that those of us who call uh, church, this church Kensington home, we believe God calls us to be generous givers and he calls us to give a percentage of what we have been given by him back to him for the sake of the kingdom. So as the pouches go through your row, we thank you so much for your willingness to trust us as we all work towards seeing God do incredible things in the world all around us. So purity. It's God's best plan to maximize your joy, your peace, and your freedom. How does that work if it seems like the opposite? Well, believe it or not, it all comes down as far as the mechanics of this thing to how our brains are wired to operate. You see, we have this misconception in ourselves that when we think a thought, when we form a belief, 
or when we have an emotion or when we make a decision that we are fully aware of why we thought that, felt that, believed that, or did that. But the modern study and psychology and test after test and after test have confirmed that story you tell yourself as to why you did what you did is probably a lie. You're lying to yourself, and I'm lying to myself. As a matter of fact, there's two psychological principles. One is known as introspection, which basically says that as much as we think we do, we don't really spend very much time at all exploring why we believe or what, you know, why we think, why we feel the way that we do. We just kind of have things muddled around in there, and even when we do that, we're often wrong. Because you see, our bodies, our minds need meaning. And so we will find meaning even when there is no meaning. We'll put pieces together and form patterns where there is no pattern because that's just kind of how our brains work is we need meaning, we need power, or we need, we need all that stuff. And so when we look at the things that come out of our mouth or come out of our actions or come out of who, how we believe, we need to believe that we know why it's there or why it came out. And so what will happen is you will actually make up a reason as to why you did that or felt that way and then you'll believe it because it makes you feel better about yourself. It's the ultimate in self-deception, but we all do this. Every single one of us, some to greater degrees than others, but we all do it. You know, maybe you've been in an argument with your wife or something, and she brings up something really small, like, would you mind putting down the toilet seat? And you're like, I can't believe you're on. And you just like, you're on. You're like, what? Why did you lose it over that? And you're like, why did I lose it? And you go search through your recesses of your mind. You're like, why did we do that? And you're like, you know, I'm just tired of being talked to about toilet seats, you know? And you just come up with this whole reason. It didn't have anything to do with that. It had to do with the fact that your boss yelled at you and belittled you in front of a group of people. You were feeling very disrespected. And when you got home, your wife triggered that disrespect in you and it caused you to dive back, dive back down into a bunch of other stuff that you didn't even realize and you brought it out and threw it up on her. And you go, no, I didn't. Uh-huh. You did. We all do. It's introspection and confabulation. I tried to think of, a, of a, an example or a, um, an illustration to help deal with this, and I realized the best one I could think of was like a drive-up window. You guys know these things. Some of you hit it on the way here. You got the Starbucks out there. You went to McDonald's or somewhere else. Drive-up windows are great because all you have to do is go up to the, go up to the little box, and you, know, you just order whatever you want, and then they respond with, and you're like, I don't know what that was. And then you drive forward, they give you a number, and then you just you know, you get your food. Now, you have no idea who's back there cooking it, Probably an 18-year-old kid making minimum wage. <laughs> Scary. Um, and frankly, you don't know what's put into it. You don't know how fresh those ingredients are. You don't know how, what temperature they were kept at or how sanitary the kitchen was. All you know is that you wanted this, and you drove over the window, and you picked it up. And oftentimes, you don't even take the time to even look at the bag before you open it up and start devouring it. That's actually how our brains work. You pull up to a certain situation in life and you say, what do I think about this? What do I feel about this? What do I believe about this? What should I do about this? And they go, please pull around. You pull around and they go, here's your bag. You're like, thank you. This is what I believe and feel and think and want to do in this situation. And you go, why is that? You're like, I don't know. And you just eat it up and it becomes a party and that's what comes out of you. But have you ever stopped to consider who is it inside of you that's deciding which pieces come out and which pieces are suppressed? And then number two, what ingredients are in there for the chef to work with to begin with? 
because you can only make what's from the inside, right? <laughs> it's not like they're going getting takeout for you from another restaurant when you go up to the McDonald's. They're making whatever's in there, and whoever's in there is making it. So who's in there making it? And what are they using to make it? See, I think scripture actually paints light to this, not in the same metaphor, but we can follow along with it by leveraging this metaphor to understand the broader concept. But in Ephesians chapter 2, this is the way that Paul describes our natural state of being. He says, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God in the hearts. He is the spirit at work in the hearts. So who's inside of you deciding what comes out and what doesn't? For those of us who haven't followed Christ or don't follow Christ, this is kind of what the Bible's saying about it. You know, don't blame me, blame Paul. That's what it says. That we each have an ability to be connected to the enemy of the world. And his job is to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's going to do everything he can to do that. And one of the best ways to do that is to take whatever's inside of you and bring out the worst. And in the question about ingredients, you know the answer to that. Because you're the one that put the stuff in there. You're the one that watched that TV show. You're the one that went to that website. You're the one that shows that impropriety. You're the one that, it's, you did it. You put the ingredients in there. And the devil's like, Ah, it's like a masterpiece. I can't wait. You know, I'm going to grab some bitterness and grab some rage, grab a little bit of, you know, lust and get some of this little slop in here. Here you go. <laughs> That's what you think of your wife. You're like, why do I think that? It's just how it works. The chef is in there working with what you got and he's putting it all together. And you wonder why the thoughts that come inside of your head are just so awful sometimes. So demeaning even to yourself. It's because the enemy's wreaking havoc in your inner being and you're unaware of it. All you're doing is pulling up to the window and grabbing the bag. So where's the hope in this? There is none. Sorry, I'm just kidding. It's a short sermon. I feel bad now. I'm writing a comment card. We don't have comment cards. Um, I don't even know where they came from. There is hope. And it's found in the same chapter, the next verse. This is what it says. It says that all of us, we'll keep going on this real quick. It says, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desire and inclinations of sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But here's where it gets good. You ready? This is the big butt. Big butt right here. I, I like big butts. and I can't lie. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, anyway, this is what it says, but God. Anytime you see but God, you better be paying attention. Is so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us, you say it. When he raised Christ from the dead, it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. And then it goes on and it says this. It says on the, the next verse that we, we go to, it says, For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of the light, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. 
You see, this is the picture of, of our lives. We were sitting there with a pile of whatever it is our parents chose to put into us in our environment allowed us to be exposed to with the enemy at the grill flipping whatever it was that he wanted to send out of us to the rest of the world. And we had very little control over it. Sure, we might have a little self-control, a couple morals that our parents maybe taught us, but ultimately we were just a victim of circumstance. Our natural sin for nature put us in that circumstance and situation and we never chose to get out of it. But when we place our faith in Jesus, not only are we purified from the inside out, not only is all the sin gone, but we are brand new creations. But the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit of God, one part of who God is, actually moves in and takes residence inside of us and that he is living and active and moving in us. In other words, he kicks out the other chef and takes over at the wheel. He grabs the, the spatula and he starts flipping the burgers. Not only is he able to make amazing things out of the garbage that we allow inside of us, he's also able to help us filter those things through the power of the Holy Spirit. We once were powerless, but no more. No, we have the power of God in us to overcome anything that comes to us or anything that lives around us. We are greater than anything in the world because the one who is in us is greater than any who are in the world. So when we trust Christ, we have this ability. And here's the action step of what he says. He says, have light from the Lord, so live as people of the light. You see, we're supposed to live as those who have the light. What comes out of us ought to look different than what comes out of other people. When you're around the water cooler and everyone's talking about how he needs to do this and do this and you'll get back at him like that, you're supposed to be the one that brings up, hey, maybe you should forgive him. And I'm like, no, shut up, Christian boy. And you're like, okay. <laughs> but you know what? That's, that's kind of what we get to do is we get to live as people with a light because we've been given a filter We've been given a lens through which to see the world. The holy word of God, the Bible that was protected for millennia that we might be able to open it and read it and understand the, the thoughts and the meaning of God, that's protected sitting there for you and you can download it for free on your phone. Hallelujah, it's available to everybody. And that right there is a, is a filter for us to be able to see what's good, what's bad, what's wise, what's unwise that we might fill ourselves with that which we want to come out of us. You see how that works? You see, what I believe is if we're going to make this change in our lives, there's two fundamental shifts that need to happen for us to be able to live and experience this kind of life. And the first one is in our minds. The first one's in our minds. We need to shift our thinking about purity. We have to stop thinking of purity in terms of experiences and information that we're missing out on. We have to stop thinking of purity as something that we're missing out on. Because we get that cookie on the shelf syndrome, don't we? That whenever someone says, you ought not to watch that show on you know, Netflix, you're like, oh, I know what I'm doing when I get home. You know, it's like, that's just kind of how we are. It's the forbidden fruit. It's exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden. And it's exactly what happens right now. You know, for me to be able to talk to my 11-year-old about television, about whatever's happening in the world, that's, that's something that I need to be doing. I need to be having those conversations with him so that he understands that I'm not trying to make him miss out on anything. Instead, I'm trying to protect something that God is building in him. 
We have to change the way we think. And instead of thinking about information or experiences we're missing out on, what we ought to do instead is we ought to start thinking of purity in terms of ingredients for how you think, feel, and decide that you're choosing to keep out of the recipe. When you say, you know what, if I don't have a lot of choice as to what comes out of me, if it's just garbage in, garbage out, and that's just how it works, perhaps I ought to think of purity the same way I think of my food. It's not like you go to the grocery store and go, ooh, what are we going to cook today? Ooh, these eggs smell rotten. That's great. Oh, that, that, that cheese is absolutely as moldy as all me. It's not even blue cheese. Let's put that in. You know, it's not like you're just in there going, I can't wait to cook with garbage. That's going to be so much fun. No, you pick the purest ingredients. You pick the only organic. You know, you pick all the best things to put into your body when you're going to cook. But yet, when it comes to how you're going to think, believe, feel, and decide, we're just like, eh, bring it in. I'm not really paying attention. And we devour whatever is in front of us, and we wonder why our thoughts are so messed up sometimes. We've got to change the way we think about it. Maybe God's not holding something from you. Maybe he's trying to give something to you, a gift. The second shift, I think, is more important than the first, and it's a shift of heart. It's a shift of emotions. We have to shift the way we feel about purity. We have to shift the way we feel about purity. Now, before we get to that one, I'll tell you this verse. I forgot to go to it. This is an important verse, and I want you to see it. This is actually Jesus talking about this very idea of how we think and shifting it. It's actually found in Luke chapter 6, 45. I wanted to look it up. It says, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You see that? The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What are you full of? What's in you? Because that's what's coming out of you. You may think you can filter it. You may think you'd be able to keep it back. You may think you'd be able to temper it, but I'm sorry, this is what the scripture says. And I personally believe it was written by God through people, and it's probably true. Every time I've ever tried to compare it to anything else, it always turns out to be true. It's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. So we ought to think about what we're putting in our hearts for our own good. But after that, we need to shift how we feel about purity. See, I think one of the reasons we don't like purity is because we associate purity with shame and condemnation, don't we? When I say things like, how are you doing on your purity? You know, you're like that guy that I walk up to. I don't know. I, uh, you know, I walk up to people with meeting someone, you know, and I'm just like, for the very first time, I walk up. And usually as I'm walking up, there's a big crowd of people I'm walking up to for the first time. One of them, you know, drops an F-bomb as I'm showing up, you know, and my friend introduces me as his pastor two seconds later. That's always fun. This guy's like, yeah. He's like, hey, everybody, this is my pastor, Josh. Don't mind Bill, he doesn't attend. It's like, hi. <laughs> there you go. And you always get the same thing. You get the guy that goes, sorry. In the, in the, in the South, it's even worse because they take off their hat. They're like, sorry, pastor. It's like he's grieving my dead corpse or something. What does he expect is going to happen in that moment? Is he expecting me to be like, ah, my ears, the burning, it hurts so much. What is this foul utterance that has befallen my virgin ears? I must go get clean. I probably say that word more than you do. It's just typically under my breath in traffic. Maybe at you. Sorry. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not a perfect person. But we have that instant connection, don't we? We have that instant connection with 
purity of guilt and shame and condemnation of all the choices we made in the past coming back to haunt us. See, that's the thing about the past. The past is a lighthouse, not a fort. We're meant to look at it for reference, not move in and live there. Some of you are beating yourself up for stuff that happened in a place that doesn't even exist anymore. And it's ruining your power that you have in Christ right now. We have to shift our thinking away from thinking about purity as a thing of shame and condemnation and instead recognizing it's about compassion and care. God isn't angry with you. God isn't upset with you. God isn't waiting for an opportunity to kick you. God loves you. He sent his son to die for you. He is compassionate and caring. He expects nothing other than for you to have trust toward him and faith in him. That's what it's supposed to be like. You know what Paul wrote to a group of people in Rome? I think this is one of the best ways to understand this topic. We see it in Romans chapter 8. It says, there is therefore now, what word? What does that say? No. No? no? Are you sure it didn't say some? Are you sure it didn't say, you know, a little? Are you sure it didn't say as long as you're a pastor or a clergy person or a head volunteer? It says, no, no, no. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But what about when I condemn myself? That's okay, right? No, it's right there. You know what that word means in the original Greek? It means no. (laughs) For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from Christ Jesus, from the law of sin and death. You've been set free from condemnation. God says, I don't see sin in you anymore. I removed that, died for all of it. I don't see that. So when you come to God with shame and condemnation, he's looking at you going, hello, I kind of died for that already. It's already washed clean. Come to me. Let's walk this road together. Let's learn from our mistakes and let's move forward as better people. This is what he's calling us to. This is what he's inviting us to. There's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. So what do we do with this information? How do we live this out in our lives? I think the first step, the first thing we need to do if we really want this to be living and active in us to change who we are is that we need to start listening to the chef a little bit more. I don't know about you, but whenever I go into a restaurant and I have a a great wait staff that comes up and talks to me and they're about to take my order, you know the first thing I always ask? What are you guys known for? Like, is there anything here that I can I have to have to say I had the experience of, like, you know, the Union Wood Shop or whatever else? And they go, oh, it's got to be the mac and cheese. I'm like, what about the salmon? And they go, oh, oh, mac and cheese. I don't even know if they serve that, by the way. Not a comment on the Union Wood Shop. Love those guys. Um, but the thing is, we, 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 we ask, right? Because they know. They see the kitchen. <laughs> they see the way things are prepared. They see how everything works. They know the ingredients. Ask the chef. Talk to God, not as a cowering, shamed child, but recognizing the friendship the two of you share. It's not about condemnation and shame. It's about compassionate curiosity as we explore to understand what's happening inside of us that we may move and act differently from here on. The Bible says it like this in Ephesians 5, the rest of that chapter we were reading earlier. It says, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. We gotta carefully determine these things. We gotta look at these things and weigh them because we have the spirit of God in us. He'll talk to us if we ask him to. He'll let us know what he thinks. And it feels weird. And as a matter of fact, in a few minutes, we're actually gonna do this together as a, as a, as a, a time of practice. 
But if you've never heard the voice of the Holy Spirit, it's still, it's quiet, it's often imperceptible because of so much junk that we allow into our heads and the, trans- the distractions that come our way. He says, be careful. Carefully determine what the Lord will is and what pleases him. The second thing is, is we need to do an inventory. We need to do an inventory. We need to go through the things in our minds and say what's good and what's bad. We need to go through our minds and say, this is useful, this is not useful. This was a good thing to watch, this was not a good thing to watch because the Holy Spirit will divide it. The the, The Holy Word of God, it will divide it. This thing says about itself that it is a double-edged sword able to separate all things, good, bad, truth, lies, all the way down to the bone. Why not use that book to inform your judgment about what it is you choose to let in? We gotta do a fearless inventory. And the only way to do a fearless inventory is to realize you're no longer condemned. You're free. So live as somebody who's free for goodness sake. The Bible says it like this. It says, take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It's shameful even to talk about the things that the ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed for the light makes everything visible. Do you remember how God talks about himself in scripture? He uses that word light so much. It's because light exposes darkness. And when we choose to walk with the light, our steps are clear. And when we choose to do an inventory, the Holy Spirit of God goes, yeah, probably not. Yeah, you know what? That's probably good. And instead of us thinking, how close can I get to sin without actually stepping over the line? What if we were asking, how pure can I get before I'm living in a monastery? (laughs) You know, what's that line on this side of things, not the other? Because you're going to miss out on some really killer movies. Sure. Are there certain experiences you won't have in this life if you live by God's standard? Absolutely. Are some of them fun? Yep. Since when was the last time that you thought that your entire purpose of your life was to have a good time? Chances are very good you want to do something meaningful with your life that matters beyond your own existence. That happens when we align ourselves with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The last thing we need to do in this that we need to understand is we need to not only do this inventory, but we need to proceed with caution moving forward. We need to proceed with caution moving forward. As we leave this place and we make choices about what we're going to view, what we're going to look at on our computers at 11 o'clock at night, what we're going to view on our handheld devices, what we're going to experience in these different areas, we need to tread very carefully, understanding that we don't have the power to control what comes out of us. The Holy Spirit does, but he's going to work with what he's got. We can help him out by giving him better ingredients. This is a hard talk to give, but it's one that is so important because there's so much at stake. Look at the way that he finishes out this little statement as we look at Ephesians 5 and continuing. He says, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Guys, we think it was hard to keep people innocent and pure in today's day and age. Imagine living in a society where people killed each other for sport. 
It's never been easy. But it's always been worth it. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're saying, you know, I just, I've felt so much shame and so much condemnation about the things that the church tell me are wrong. I've never really stopped to think that maybe it wasn't about making me feel like junk. Maybe it was just the Holy Spirit of God that needs to enter into me that I might see and be everything I was meant to be. As a pastor, this is kind of one of those hard things to do. Because if I'm not careful, I find myself falling in to self-condemnation about the bad choices that I make. If I'm not careful, I believe the hype that people say about pastors or the Kool-Aid that people try and serve me, I'm drinking it up. You know, oh, you're great. Oh, you're amazing. Oh, that was great. That was good. You know, oh, yeah, whatever. And you find yourself doing the same stupid stuff every single day. You go, gosh, I'm such an idiot. That's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's the voice of the enemy. And it's time we stop feeding that wolf. Start listening to the lamb, to the lion. Because greater is he that it is in us than he that is in the world. What we want to do right now is we want to invite you into a moment to actually practice this. We've created a video experience that we're going to encourage you to jump into with us. And it's something called a listening prayer. Now, if you've been around on Wednesday nights at Troy or Orion, maybe you've heard Jamie Winship or Donna talk about the idea of listening prayers. This is a concept of stillness and solitude to listen for the voice of God. And we believe God does incredible things when we stop to listen to him. Maybe this is something that's new to you. Maybe it's something that you've done before. Maybe right now you're going, I'm going to hear a voice. Let's see what happens. You may not hear anything. I don't know. But all I know is every time I open myself up and clear out my mind, God reveals something to me that I didn't know before. Or he reminds me of something that I already knew but I forgot. So I want to encourage you over these next several moments just to go ahead and start this process now. Allow him to speak to you, to tell you all the things you need to know about how he feels about you. Let's do this together. We believe that God speaks to us in a lot of ways. And some of us might believe that God speaking to us must be this loud, big voice. But we believe that God's creative and can speak to us through thoughts, sounds, even pictures. And so then today when we try to hear from him, listen for him in a way that makes sense to you. And so let's just take a moment and pray and ask God what he wants us to know. God, thank you that you love us and that you desire to have a relationship with us. And today we wanna to hear from you, Lord. I pray that you help us to hear you and understand you in a way that makes sense to us, Lord. And so with your eyes closed, let's ask God, what he wants us to know. So God, is there an area in my life that's not good for me that you want me to remove so I can have a closer relationship with you?
maybe you saw a picture or you heard a song or maybe a memory came to mind. Whatever it is, write it down. So God, what do you want us to know about what we just heard or saw? So whatever God has revealed to you, I want you to picture yourself holding it in your hands. And now visualize Jesus. And take what you're holding in your hands and give it to him. Jesus doing with what you just gave him? God, now that we've handed over these areas of our life to you, what truths do you want us to know moving forward as we pursue a relationship with you? God, thank you so much for speaking to us today. Thank you that you love us and care for us. And I pray that we would hold on to the truths that you've spoken to us and that we would completely surrender those things that we've given to you and not take them back. And I pray against discouragement for those who might have struggled to hear you today. And I pray that they know that you're near them, that you love them, and that you're for them. So God, thank you that you love us and that you desire to have a relationship with us. In your name we pray, Jesus.